Our guest today on Personally Speaking is Greg Kelly, a well-known anchor and journalist, but now he's written a book. It's called Justice for All. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Losanti. Greg Kelly joins me now. Greg is the anchor of Greg Kelly Reports on Newsmax TV, the host of The Greg Kelly Show on WABC Radio in New York, and he's the former co-host of Good Day New York on Fox 5 New York. Greg is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps and the son of celebrated New York Police Department Commissioner Ray Kelly. Greg has written a new book. It's called Justice for All. The subtitle how the left is wrong about law enforcement, in which he looks at the fundamental service men and women in law enforcement provide for our country. Greg is married to Judith, and together they're the parents of two daughters. He's here with us today to talk about his life, his career, the values that sustain him, his faith, and the critical importance of law enforcement in America. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Greg Kelly. Greg, thanks for coming on the program. Father, thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I like the book a lot, you know? Is it doing okay? It's doing very well. <clears throat> Enough that I'll uh, be writing another book. Good. Excellent. That's good to hear. We'll start now. We're here with Greg Kelly. The book is Justice for All. Uh, let me start before we get into the book, which I enjoyed very much, and I hope our listeners and viewers will get. But uh, I'm always into the family of origin. And you have this dad who's universally admired, respected, loved because of his work in law enforcement. But no one ever talks about the woman who helped to form you, your mom. Tell us about her. Veronica Kelly, uh, so blessed. You know, I remember when she, my father was leaving the commissioner's job the first time in 1993. And there was a lot of press attention. And they were all kind of doing a farewell interview. And, and a reporter goes to my mother and she says, the reporter, Rosemary Gomez, good reporter, she says, there must have been a lot of perks being the police commissioner's wife. And she said, well, there are a lot of perks being Ray Kelly's wife. Uh. <laughs> she just I, I, for, I was thinking about that this morning. Um, just a remarkable uh, woman and a great pairing. Uh, married my dad when she was 19. My dad was 22. Wow. And, you know, I'm just incredibly blessed that God chose me to be their son. Yeah, no, that's a wonderful thing. What a great answer she had, too. Now, speaking of important women in your life, uh, people may or may not know you're married to Judith. And I got to ask, because I wonder every weekend when I do weddings, uh, there's a billion people out there you could pick. Why was Judith the one for you? Well, that's an interesting question um, and a good question. Well, she is the love of my life and um, everything really changed. Look, I'll probably allude to this in my next book. I spent a lot of time doing things that the world says you're supposed to do, that you're allowed to do. You know, I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks about, you know, Manhattan life, right. being single, running around, um, alcohol, uh, parties, uh, you name it, whatever. Yeah, and, sure. and, you know, I was kind of mixed up in a lot of that for, for a long time. And I do believe God was trying to get my attention. Uh, trying to kind of say, this is not 
for you, Greg. And there were other phases in my life. And then one day I finally, my goodness gracious, um, this is real. And when I started listening to God and really trying to get close to him through the Bible, through church, things really started to uh, change. And I do believe he brought her to me or brought us together. Wow. Isn't that great? What is special about her? What has she got? She's incredibly smart. Okay. Uh, most int- brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Remarkably articulate. Mm. Uh, very loving, of course. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to get all choked up if I, a terrific mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I she's someone I can learn from. You know, I, I actually need that. I, I realize I needed that in a partner. And I, I learned from everybody. You can learn from everybody. But she right. has a lot. And I have a lot to show her, I think. So it's a it just it's a great we're very lucky, very fortunate. And uh, but also I do think it was God's grace, God's yeah. hand. Greg Kelly's our guest, author of Justice for All. But uh, one last personal question that would be a. Uh, um, this man about town, this this great bachelor you're talking about, now has, among other things in which he's settled down, is now the dad of two young girls. So I'm wondering, what did you learn in terms of values that matter from your folks, and how do you communicate those now to these beautiful girls that you love? Well, honestly, we're a little bit young for the, the values uh, mm, yeah. part. I'm just trying to get them from stopping to hit each other and throw food. You know, we're, we're, we're working on the bigger questions and, and that will come. Um, my parents provided me with everything, quite frankly, including, you know, a great example and and the example of, 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 of you know, faith and, and, and practicing faith. But, you know, it's there's free will in the world. And for a while I chose to do my own thing. And I, uh, oh, I don't understand that, or that's uh, that's that's not for me. That's wrong. That's hung up. That's square. You know, all those things. I went through that. So you know, you can lead by example. I think, and hope and pray that they make the right choices. Um, but you can't make anybody do anything. I don't think. And if you don't mind, my mother just, I I, I described her vis-a-vis my dad. Um, but I should point out, you know, she primarily, she she did a great deal of the housework, obviously, as was mm-hmm. very traditional back then, but she also worked. She was a nurse. She went to night school to become a nurse. Uh, she became a very successful sales executive at a, at a major company and um, basically taught me to uh, read <laughs> as well as she was very, you know, I was a little bit dyslexic as a, as a kid and I needed ah. a little bit extra work. And I remember her working with me at the kitchen table. So just a remarkable mother, and and wife to my father, but I I think I gave her short shrift on that uh, explanation or description. So just a few tidbits. And and, and she was in the Coast Guard, if you can believe that. She shot an M16 (laughs) and would go off two weeks a year to to be in the Coast Guard. It's kind of of wild. Super mom, definitely super mom. Now, you know, we're talking about uh, your role as as parent and and a son. So I'm wondering, because in uh, Justice for All, you're pretty clear about your belief that so much lawlessness in our society can be connected to the absence of of fathers in both the black and white community. What have you found out about uh, the role of a dad who you you would suggest needs to be physically present in the lives of his children? First things first, the exception. I'm going to start with the exception. There are plenty of people who have done well in life 
come from orphanages or mm. you know just you know come from came from broken homes or even highly functioning single parent homes i know that happens and that's great but when you're looking at the data across society study after study will tell you that the best way to avoid crime or to not raise a criminal is to have both parents at home and every community suffers from fatherless uh families but nowhere worse is it than in the african-american community that's almost a direct quote from barack obama back in 2008 when he was quite frankly trying to woo us trying to you know make us like him by us i mean the american people it was interesting it was like wow he's willing to talk about things that are very you know, awkward for other people to talk about, but he can, you know, because of identity politics, because of race. He went to Harvard. He's black. He's this. He's that. He can do this and other people can. But after he did it, he was hit very hard by the left mm -hmm. and he chose not to do it anymore. And he went all in on grievance politics, on identity politics, and I think helped rip this country apart all to enhance his brand his personal brand and power and prestige uh what a what a lost opportunity what a remarkable opportunity he had to really change i think culture in a fundamental way and he didn't he squandered it squandered an amazing opportunity and that and that leads it to us father you know yes us i say people people who believe in the constitution people who believe that america has problems but it's not the problem you know, if he's not going to do it, no one else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to have a substantive conversation about race to mm -hmm. avoid in, in place of the silly conversation that's happening right now. And that conversation is so silly because they want to avoid, you know, these uncomfortable truths that I admit are kind of awkward to talk about at times, especially if you want to dwell on race. Who's okay. saying what? What is the color of what person who's saying things? So anyway. Greg Kelly's our guest. The book is Justice for All. You know, and I know that, uh, and I give them credit for it, a lot of people on the so-called left are, are masterful at uh, directing the language of illusion. What do I mean by that? Nobody ever comes out and says they're pro-abortion, they're pro-choice. Who's against choice? Uh, no one wants to call themselves a liberal anymore, so they're progressive. In the same way, uh, they come up with a beautiful expression, Black Lives Matter. Who can possibly disagree with that? How do you parse the language of illusion so often used by people who disagree with you? It's an interesting question. And well, starting with Black Lives Matter, just as you say, who could mm -hmm. have a problem with that? But it's incumbent upon us to go a little bit deeper than the labels. And if you look up Black Lives Matter and what they stand for, it is a radical anti-family communist uh, set of values uh, intent on destroying this country. You know, in pol to be polite sometimes when I'm engaged in these conversations, um, because you want people to listen, you don't necessarily want to turn people off immediately. I'm a little bit, I don't want to say agnostic on the language, but sometimes I will. And, and perhaps this is something insidious that I need to watch out for. But if they want to say pro-choice, I'll say pro-choice. Um, but I'll say pro-life. You know what I mean? They'll, right, they'll say right. anti-choice. We're pro-life. You can be pro-choice. I'm pro-life. Right. And I can talk about your position because if you start saying pro-abortion, you could lose an audience before you mm -hmm. before you're able to convince them. So but it's an interesting point. And yes, they can play lots of games with language. 
And just going back to the the race matter for a moment, I say one of the reasons why we have to talk about these things is because the left, they're the only ones comfortable for the most part talking about race. Mm -hmm. So they dictate the language, the rules and everything else. And it shuts most people up. But if, if, if mainstream people don't talk about it, then you're not going to be adapted talking about it and you'll, you know, you'll be canceled. You'll, 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 trip wires and that kind of thing so you're right though they play games with language um and we can't be we we must not be afraid though to engage okay let's talk about law enforcement folks now i want to make a strange comparison but not so strange uh in the priesthood the catholic priesthood we know that 96 percent of the guys have never would never uh hurt a child we know four percent have done that in the same way we hear these stories about police around the country who do do bad things to specifically African-American people, and that becomes all law enforcement. Um, how do we get across, and I think you do this in Justice for All, the the wrongness of the, 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 broad, the broad brush of targeting every policeman or woman with a brush that doesn't fit? Most are, I think, unless you would disagree, good, moral, hardworking, uh, dedicated public servants. So why are they all painted with the same awful brush? It's convenient. It's easy. I think they're tapping into a resentment to law enforcement and traditional authority figures that was already there, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the book, I, I I acknowledge that bad things happen. Human beings. It's mm-hmm. just going to. There will always be in any profession. You mentioned the priesthood. Right. Yeah. We could talk about doctors, teachers, police radio and tv executives i mean you name it there will be abuse of authority it's you you can't you never be complacent about it but and you always have to root it out and work against it but it is interesting how they try to you'll you'll remember uh, brianna taylor say her name now why do they why do they say that why do i say brianna taylor say her name by the way a lot of things that happen in the brianna taylor case are misunderstood that's a whole other area of research but uh they they say say her name because the numbers are so incredibly small when police shoot unarmed people very very small that and especially quite frankly people of color smaller number than unarmed white people who are killed by police so what do they try to do? They try to magnify it and they have to personalize it. They have to exaggerate its importance and say her name, these kinds of campaigns, make it seem bigger than it actually is. All right. Now I want to go into something that uh, is a hard question for you. I'm sure your dad dealt with this because he dealt with all sorts of people in political life. And that is the question of uh, hypocrisy. Um, as I count it in the gospel, of all the sins that Jesus comes down hard on, uh, at least 17 times he condemns hypocrisy as one of the worst sins. And it makes a lot of sense that hypocrisy is at the heart of most of the things we do wrong. We're not being true to who we should be. I mention that because I'll give an example. In the last mayor election in New York, there was a, a woman running who uh, was for defunding the police. And then it turned out that on her own private block in Brooklyn, they have private security that they pay for. So she wants security, but she doesn't want most of us to have security. Defund the police. It's part of a hypocrisy that so often exists in people in public life. You deal with people in politics. Uh, Is your read on them, Greg, that they understand the hypocrisy? Or does it become so second nature to them that they don't understand that what they're saying is not authentic? 
Well, Joe Biden leaps to mind, quite frankly, um, mm. when you say hypocrisy. And but also that 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 second observation, you know, is it is it automatic? I think with Joe Biden, it has become muscle memory mm. to spin to deceive so much so that he may not understand that he's lying, that he's spinning, that he's deceiving. He's been in politics since 1970. 1970, two years before he was in the U.S. US Senate, he was a, um, a councilman in, in Newark, Delaware. Um, and I wonder about him because the hypocrisy is is so obvious. And I wonder, could he, does he, does he really lack respect for us that much that he's so willing to look at us and lie? You know, just this week, he's, he's blamed Trump for the bank situation. He blamed Trump for the balloon. He blamed Trump for COVID. Everything is Trump's fault. Um, but that's what politicians, that's what politicians do. Um, you know, politicians, it's very easy to criticize politicians, uh, and some of them definitely deserve it, like Joe Biden. They're in a tough spot, though. You know, they have to raise money. And they have to get that money. <laughs> they can't do it on their own. They have a lot of different constituencies to uh to appease. And I've thought about this before, you know, you know, we don't have a direct democracy. We don't. Uh, we delegate so much authority to them. But you wonder, you know, some of these guys, they do change their position. But perhaps there's a time and place for that. If public sentiment changes, should they change as well? You could say, well, they're being hypocritical if they flip flop. But then again, they're representing us. You know, the, the, if this is the will of the people, they should represent us. Interesting question, but hypocrisy is um, when you say it, I do think Joe Biden because he he's addicted to deception. And again, he's been doing it so long, maybe he doesn't realize he's doing it. Yeah. And anytime in a program like this, I talk about a specific politician like President Biden, I get a good deal of uh, angry mail and stuff. But I, I think especially for me as a Catholic priest, the disappointment is that a guy who touts his Catholicism can uh, so often uh, be so disrespectful of the things we value. There was a time when he was a, a supporter of the Human Life Amendment to the Constitution to protect the unborn, and now here he is defending the nine-month right with taxpayer funding to abortion. And you say, are there any core values? Are, are there any things that truly last and stuff? And uh, Greg, for yourself, what are the core values? Well, the ones that come to mind immediately, forgive me, because uh, they were drummed into me in the Marine Corps. <laughs> okay. Um, there are 14 leadership traits. Um, now, the Bible is more recent. I'll get to the Bible in a moment. The 14 leadership traits, and if you don't mind, I want to make sure I can do this still because it's sure. been a while. <laughs> Unselfishness, loyalty, tact, knowledge, justice judgment, integrity, initiative, enthusiasm, endurance, dependability, decisiveness, courage, and bearing. Okay. 14. <laughs> wow. That's really good. <laughs> uh, but those are, those are just traits. However, I do think about those. Uh, I used to think about them more often than I do now. Maybe they're, maybe they're embedded, but those are things to really keep in mind um, as an employee, as a father, as, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, look, I, I try to do God's will. I read the Bible and I go to church and 
the commandments are there, I used to think, quite frankly, to prevent us from having a good time <laughs> uh, and that they got in the way of a full life. Uh, yeah. But that's obviously ludicrous. They're there to protect us. Yeah. They're there to enhance our joy and enhance our usefulness. So um, yeah, I say to everyone, I say it on the radio quite a bit, uh, and I'm not the best. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a theologian. I'm not... But if you want to, uh, if you want to see miracles, um, the Bible in church, and yeah. uh, and and also you know you you happen to be a great priest, and but you know not, don't ever let yourself be turned off by a man or a woman to faith. You know, yeah. too often, yeah. you, oh that priest said something ten years ago I don't like. I'm never going back. Like right, right. <laughs> you, you don't, well, somebody, somebody far more important. Yeah. Is, is who's perfect loves you and wants to get close to you so don't worry about being offended 10 years ago and anyway i hope that kind of answers no you certainly did my marine corps captain father in heaven we love that you could name all those wonderful values those core values let me ask you going back to the book um justice for all you talk interestingly enough greg about uh about the the myth really about incarceration how we, we lock up more people in America than anybody in the world, and especially African-American young men. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the reality of, of our incarceration inclinations? Well, we do lock up more people than any country in the world. Yeah. That, is, that is true. Um, our incarceration rates um, are higher than, say, in Russia. Uh, they're higher uh, than in, in many other industrialized countries. Now, and I allude to this in the book, you know, I don't answer why that is. Mm -hmm. You could say it's an offshoot of the frontier mentality that that still exists. Um, is that part, is that in our DNA as a culture? Uh, I don't know. I do know that there are some myths about incarceration, for instance, that people are locked up uh, for marijuana offenses. Uh, that's essentially not true. Um, also, that uh, when it comes to incarceration, that we have mass incarceration, mass arrests. That's never happened in America. And you hear it a lot that um, it's, uh, it suggests that the police have rounded up yeah. people en masse together and brought them to a, a a jail cell and like in egypt you've seen they put them all in one big cell and then they they're tried as a group and then they right that does not happen it's in the constitution you could say um well i heard about this story not really <laughs> even in our uh, darkest days those procedures uh are followed and by the way they work and they're beautiful and the alternative i don't know of a I don't know what the alternative is. Um, I don't. Now, it's something I don't talk about too much in the book, but life in prison is mm -hmm. obviously brutal. Recidivism is a is a real problem. I don't know the solution, but I do try to address the myths of over-incarceration. Do you think, from your experience in law enforcement, um, that the prison experience turns anyone around? And I'm thinking specifically of a parishioner of mine, he, he got arrested for uh, child pornography, terrible stuff, but he's going to do seven years away. But I'm not sure I'm, I'm getting any sense that in those seven years, gonna, anybody's going to direct him toward the kind of help that might redirect his life or his mind 
do we just lock them away or are we doing anything to rehabilitate? Is there such a thing as rehabilitation in prison in your mind? As a reporter slash talk show host slash mm. journalist, I have studied these issues. Now, uh, as far as recidivism and what actually happens in prison, uh, it's something I, I actually steer clear of in the book because there are no easy answers. Um, I do mention, you mentioned child pornography. It is uh, something that actually uh, basically every single racial group offends in that crime at the same rate, which is wow. kind of interesting and unusual. Yeah. Um, I too know somebody who was released, recently released from prison uh, for similar charges. And it does make you wonder, uh, seven years, what was accomplished? I mean, it's a horrible crime. Mm. Um, you know, we do punish very much like we did a couple of hundred years ago. I want to, first of all, thank you for being on the program. And who's the audience for this book, Greg? Who, who, who would benefit from reading it? I think everyone, but what do you think? It's a good question. I wrote it for, I wrote it for history believe it or not. I know that sounds maybe a, a little full of myself, but you know, when, when Donald Trump was in front of that church mm. and held up that Bible and our culture said that this was the worst thing in the world, that this was an awful moment in American history. And I just like, wait, I, I see a president of the United States after a church, they attempted to burn it down the night before mm. holding by, this is not outrageous. This is not that photograph is in the book, by the way. And yes, I I wanted to document literally. This is where I thought I, I need to start. I want to document this in book form. It's one thing for me to run on my show and say something or tweet something, but those things evaporate. They're not permanent. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to memorialize that those thoughts. And I actually had this brief think, like, if this society is going down, I just want to be on record with a couple of things. I don't think we're going down. Um, long term, I'm optimistic. But, you know, this is really for anybody. I can't say I wrote it for a, you know, a 47-year-old housewife outside mm -hmm. of Cleveland, as, as as some authors do. They tailor it to this. If you If you fit this, this, and this, then this book is for you. I've never... I don't write that way. I don't broadcast that way. You know, you walk into a, a room full of people and your objective is to entertain them and inform them. And you don't start talking about, okay, well, who's in the audience here and uh, that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's, it's an attempt at a mass, you know, at a mass audience. And that's a diverse audience. I want to thank Greg Kelly for being with us. I hope our viewers and listeners will get hold of Justice for All. I want to thank Greg especially because uh, I do enough of these interviews that people sometimes are on automatic pilot. They've answered questions so often. But what came across to me today about Greg Kelly is, uh, uh, first of all, he thinks through the, the question and answers it honestly. But also, when he's calling people to live values that matter, he's also admitting along the way with true humility that he hasn't always lived up to those values. And I like the honesty of saying, look, these are things I treasure, but they're not necessarily things I've always lived by myself. I've made mistakes along the way. And Greg, I just appreciate your honesty, your candor, your willingness to talk personally about these things that, that are of value to all of us. So thank you for that. And, and much good luck with the book and your continued work in media. Beautiful, Father. Thank you so much. Great Thanks, to talk Greg. to you. Thank Same you. here. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. Any shows you want to see or watch, you go to YouTube. 
and search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Watch the shows and please hit like and subscribe. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandavis. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.